Thank you for listening to this gospel resource from Cornerstone Baptist Church in Wiley, Texas. Feel free to use or share this resource, but we ask that you not alter the content in any way. For more information about Cornerstone Baptist Church, please visit us at cornerstonewiley.org. All right. Well, hey, we are now on month four of our journey through the class of parenting. Um, I feel like there was more people when we started, but, but then again, it is Memorial Day weekend, so we're going to wrap up our study on bi- biblical parenting today. Uh, last week, you'll remember, we focused on family worship, for those of you that were here to, to walk through that, and I ran out of time at the end to give you my recommendations of resources for you to use, so I want to come back to that uh, and recommend a few resources with you, and then I want to wrap up our, our time together and uh, give me sort of four remembers before we get out of here and uh, get on with the rest of our lives in parenting. Um, but the recommendations for things, I'm going to give you resources that are going to help you, uh, not, not are the ones that are going that you can use in family worship. You, you're welcome to kind of move on some of those issues on your own, but want you to, I want to give you things to equip you to learn more about family worship. That's, that's the point of the resources that I want to provide you with. And, and here's why that distinction exists. Over the years, we've tried a number of different things in terms of what works for family worship. Uh, different resources, whether those are curricula, uh, children's books that are kind of, or devotion books geared towards children, uh, different devotion books. Uh, there's all value in a lot of those things, but the reality is that the, the best thing that I can recommend to you in the 17 years of our parenting, what we've learned the best method is of family worship is what I outlined for you last week. Read the Bible, pray together, and sing. That's the, the best outline for family worship I can provide to you. And the good news about that is you don't have to run out and buy a whole bunch of books or videos or sparkly supplies of any sort. You have access to all that right now. If you have a phone, you have access to that all. And then you can actually get it in the codex, too. You can actually get the the hard copies of that as well. Uh, I think there's a reason why that's the best method, and that's also a reason why... Uh, the Puritans re- uh, resorted to that family liturgy, and uh, they didn't have access to Crossway or Ligonier Ministries, and neither did the early church. This is something that we as a people of, of Christ have been doing for centuries. And so I just encourage you to read the Bible, lead your family in prayer, sing the songs of the faith. Uh, that, uh, that, that's the recipe for corporate, family, and individual worship since the beginning of our faith. So that, that, that's what I would encourage you to do. Uh, we're never going to reach the end of the richness of those scriptures or of the opportunity to pray and, and never get tired of recalling the attributes of God, praising him in song, all these things. Those are the great ways to reinforce our faith. So don't make it complex. Don't do more than you have to do on this. Simple is always best. Pick up the Bible. Tell your kids those old stories of the scriptures. Read the words of Christ together and praise God through the Psalms. But the resources I want you to uh, to have, at least at your fingertips, and you can write these down. I'm happy to send them to you in an email, text message, or smoke signal in the sky, whatever it is that gets to you best. But uh, a couple of things that I found very helpful to think through this topic of family worship that I think will be helpful to you as well. The first one I me- I've mentioned here before, it's a book by Vodi Bakum called Family Driven Faith. And it's really Vodi's uh, meditation on Deuteronomy 6. We've looked at that passage extensively in this class. Uh, but that's his, uh, his, his uh, meditation on that book, you know, 200 pages or so. Uh, and, and he spends a fair bit of time challenging us to, to pursue family worship as an integral part of the overall duty of discipleship and parenting. Uh, and on the narrow topic of family worship, so that, that's kind of a broader look at, uh, kind of a f- more uh, fully orbed view of uh, family discipleship, but also talks a lot about individual family worship. 
But just narrowing it down to just the topic of family worship, there's two books I would recommend to you. The good news is they have the exact same title. They're just by two different people. So uh, you can remember, this is the first one by Don Whitney. He's a professor at Southern Seminary. I've got some issues with Don on some other things, but on family worship, he's, he's really very good. And this is a very good resource for you to consider. In fact, if you remember much of last week's lesson, or if you want to go back and listen to it all, uh, I relied very heavily on, on that book. You can literally read this in an afternoon. It's very, very short. Um, even if you're a slow reader, you can, you can buzz through 80 pages very quickly in this book. It's very readable, but it gives a really good historical and biblical case for the idea of family worship. So I would really encourage you to read Family Worship by Don Whitney. I'm certain we have a copy of this in the library. Uh, and I, I, think we, I feel like we gave this out a couple years ago on Father's Day or something like this. So guys, you may have this in your, your bookshelf and may not even realize it. And then the other one by the same title, and it's just as good, is uh, Family Worship by Joel Beakey. B-E-E-K-E is how you spell that last name. Joel Beakey is a pastor in Michigan. He's written this book called Family Worship. I don't have a physical copy of it, or at least I think I may have a physical copy. I couldn't find it on our bookshelf. My wife probably hid it from my, my view uh, but uh, the good news is you can Google the term family worship and Joel Beakey and you will find a free PDF if you do some internet sleuthing of it all. So it's pretty simple to find. Uh, also, a very quick read. It's shorter than this book. It may be 60 pages uh, or so. Uh, both of them are, are good books and they both reflect their author. So Beakey's book is a bit more formal than uh, Whitney's. Uh, this is kind of a more informal approach to it all and just kind of a straightforward narrative. Uh, Beakey is... is um, <laughs> just more formal. I don't know how best to describe that, but they're both very good and they're both worth your time to read and consider. So I'd very much encourage you to read those things if you have the opportunity to do so or want to. Uh, then the, uh, the, the other thing, the, the three short form resources that I will give to you that uh, these are even shorter, maybe uh, six or seven pages at the most, right? So these are, these are short resources for you that you can plow through in a morning before work and over your cup of coffee if you want to. Uh, and I found most of these through the, the footnotes of either... Um, Whitney or, or Beakey's books. Uh, I referenced them a lot last week as well. And the first one I referenced and, and just highly recommend to you to, to search out and find. Again, all of these are available for free as PDFs on the internet. You search the name and the, and the title uh, and you're going to find them. And if you can't, then just email me or text me. I'll happily send you mine. And by the way, if you do that, it'll be even easier because I've already highlighted it. And you can take six pages and just read the highlights and you'll be getting the gist of it all, if, if nothing else. But they're worth your reading in total. The first one is Matthew Henry's message called A Church in the House. Uh, Matthew Henry is that Puritan uh, expositor, uh, commentator of the Bible. Uh, his message, A Church in the House, is just absolutely delightful. And if you remember any of the quotes that I, I kind of relied on last week, I pulled heavily from, from uh, Matthew Henry's title of that. Um, so A Church in the House by Matthew Henry I, I barely scratched the surface with the tremendous things that, that, that uh, Henry has to say. It's really worth your time to read his message to Church in the House. The second one by the former slaver and the author of the hymn Amazing Grace, John Newton. He wrote a very short letter entitled uh, Family Worship. These guys are not terribly creative with their, their messages here. All right, so Family Worship by John Newton is very short and worth your time to consider. Uh, especially as it concerns how family worship serves as a personal accountability to those who would lead it. And, and that's kind of the thrust of his message with uh, John Newton. And then finally, the third one, again, very short, uh, is by George Whitfield. Um, he wrote a, a little thing or a message, I guess, called The Great Duty of Family Religion. Actually, there's no article in front of that, just Great Duty of Family Religion. 
Uh, this dates back to the 1700s. Uh, and George Whitfield, if you remember George Whitfield, thousands would stand in the summer heat in a field with no shade just to maybe hear George Whitfield preach, right? This guy was a profound uh, reformer, but also speaker, um, evangelist. You can just Google "Great Duty of the Family George," uh, family du "Great Duty of Family Religion" by George Whitfield, and find a PDF of that and sit in the comfort of your temperature-controlled home and read that message. It is really excellent. It's his message on Joshua twenty-four fifteen, that that passage where it says, "As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord." Uh, and like Henry's, it's really an excellent discourse on the theology and practice of family worship, and just about seven page or six or seven pages of text. So. You can plow through that very quickly, and you will be very well served. It's almost like sitting and listening to these great preachers teaching you uh, far better than I can about family worship. So again, I I've warned you about the use of Google in this class for parenting, right? I'm, I'm steering you away from that, but I'm going to make an exception in this, this part of, parent of the class. Uh, if you Google the title and the three of these three resources plus PDF, you're going to find these here. But if you can't find them, if uh, your Google skills are not what they should be, uh, email me. I'm happy to send them to you. And um, again, they're highlighted, so you can probably get through that a little bit more quickly if you want to just look at the highlights instead of the entire thing. And if you came in late, I'll give you those resources on the side if you want to find out about those later on as well. All right, that wraps up family worship from last week. And I hate it when I get behind something, and now i got to kind of play catch-up, and now we're going to be behind on this lesson. I don't have next week to go to. This is it. This is the end of it. Next week, we're going to be all one big class again. I think Russ Rice is starting to teach on the book of Jude for everybody, which, is, which will be great. Um, one of the fears that every teacher, I think, has is that when you study a topic, when you invest a lot of time and energy into that study and the preparation of the lessons, um, you, people will just either ignore or just forget. And that's just human nature. We, we forget things, right? 95% of what you've heard has actually stuck in your brain, probably. And that's why I've repeated the important things as much as I possibly could. And which is why I want to repeat at least four things here that I want you to remember from our study in parenting. Right? You don't have to take away all the lessons. If you want, you can have my notes. I'll be glad to send you all 16 copies of it if you'd like. You're, you're welcome to that. They're all available on our website as well if you really want to go back and listen to the whole thing all over again. But l let me just give you four things that I really want you to remember from our time together uh, as, as we've studied parenting. And they're, they're just four things that you hope you'll, you'll write down. I think these are the ones I want, want to emphasize for a reason. I think they're the critical parts of our parenting, and they're sort of summarizing it all. First thing, remember to worship together as a family. Remember to worship together as a family. Now, that may seem obvious, and maybe it's even trite now to say, but it's still nonetheless true that the world around us is doing everything it possibly can to distract and steal away our worship from the Savior uh, who bought our salvation with his blood. We need to worship together. We need to worship together to defend against those influences and prepare to meet those head on as well. Uh, worship, it's important to remember, doesn't change who God is. Uh, he, he's unchanging. But it does prepare us. It, it aligns our hearts. It, it, is, it is, as the hymn says, it tunes my heart to sing thy grace, right? It, it's important for us to to get back in tune when the world sort of puts us out of tune. And so worship is a critical element of that. And as we worship, the fears of a secular age tend to roll off our shoulders because we focus upon uh, a God whose truth makes the wisdom of the world manifestly foolish. Uh, as we worship, our inner thoughts are challenged, they're convicted, they're changed, and they're all convicted and challenged and changed to be more like Christ and less like the world around us. 
As we worship our personal history, our personal experience, our future plans, they all yield to the declared word of, of God, the written will of God. And this is an important part of our worship experience. And so I want you to make it a priority to worship. And I've already stressed with you how important it is for us to worship together as a family uh, in, our, in our homes, making it a priority of our family, a, a commitment to worship together as a family. That's, that's critical. But let me speak uh, both as a family. I want to speak to mom and dad, but then I wanted to make a broader point about our corporate worship as well. First, to, to dads. Let me speak directly to you. I want you to lead your family in worship. I know that's a very simple thing to say. It's a very much more difficult thing for us to do. But God has placed you at the head of your family. Lead them. Uh, care for them with the, the scriptures. Provide for them by opening the Bible to them and reading it to them. Bless them with your prayers. Set an example uh, for the, uh, of humility for them to confess your sins, to, to let them see you uh, finding joy in praise to the God who has saved you. Guys, lead your family in worship. And I know, again, that's a simple thing to kind of put in our pocket and say, yeah, yeah, I know, Jeremy. No, guys, this is something God is calling us as men to do. Lead your families in worship. Moms, you're not off the hook of this either. Uh, you are a co-equal in uh, your family uh, unit here. Uh, as you submit to your husbands out of reverence for Christ, you're not a passive partner in this. And so, moms, I want you to support your husband in family worship. I want you to work with them together as a partner, partnership to carve out the time in the life of the home to worship together as a family. Make that a priority, but also hold him accountable. Hold your husband accountable to his duty to lead your family in worship. And, and where he's prevented from leading family worship, step in to keep it on schedule and, and maintain its priority. Uh, I, I think of that myself. I, I travel a lot for my work, and so I can't be there every single night. And Jenny keeps that on track. We, we may have kind of parallel things that we're doing, but they're all in concert with each other. We're, we're continuing that priority of family worship and the continuity and telling our children together as mom and dad that, that this is important, that we're going to stop the rest of our labor for the day, if only for 10 minutes, to worship together as a family. Uh, so make that a priority. Worship together as a family at home. But also, and I think just as importantly, it's very important that we worship together as a family at church. I've said this multiple times in this class, but lone wolf Christianity does not exist or should not exist. Christians since the first century have met together in person to worship on the first day of the week. So my strong encouragement to each of you is be present among your brethren here together as a family. And it's important in, in this point to point out that your children learn to be a part of that worship. And they need to learn how to be a part of that worship. They're going to, we pray and hope, right? This is our goal of parenting, that there'll be brothers and sisters in Christ someday. They need to learn how to do that over time. And that starts very early on. They should see you gathered with other believers. And let me put a little bit more fine point on this. Your children should see you gathered in close proximity to other believers in worship, right? That, that's a lesson not taught by merely being in the same building, segmenting yourself off from the rest of the body somewhere else in the building. That may be necessary for small periods of time while you're here, just to settle the kids down and get them reengaged. But this is taught together in community, face to face, side by side, shoulder to shoulder. There's a reason why we are a gathered, called out people to come to this body together. I recall one Sunday years ago now when our oldest was probably six or seven years old, 
uh, the kind of a middle aisle like this, and I was seated on one side of the aisle, on that aisle seat, and my son was seated right beside me. We were standing, we were singing, uh, and across the aisle was my friend Kyle. Well, it, Kyle had, you know, really been gripped in, in worship that morning, and I, I don't know exactly what was going on in his heart, but I knew some of his backstory, and that day, somehow the Spirit had just fallen upon that congregation in a very special, special way, and Kyle to say the least, was deeply, deeply moved in worship. Deeply moved. He's a younger man in his 20s at the time, deeply moved in worship. And, and at one point, my son tugs on my sleeve and points across the aisle to Kyle. And I'm a little bothered by this. You know, you're, it's not polite to point, number one. It's not polite to point during worship is another one. And also, John, hey, focus up there. This is not the time to be pointing across the aisle. So I sort of shushed him a little bit. And, and, then, and then after I got him kind of settled, I looked across the aisle at my friend, and Kyle is just completely overcome in tears. Just, I mean, weeping in tears. And he also had about an 18-inch stalactite of snot hanging from his nose. <laughs> I kid you not, this thing was hanging way down there. And so I had to sort of stop and chuckle and realize why my six or seven-year-old was en entranced by this 18-inch booger hanging from his, his nose. <laughs> It was a delightful little moment, and it just, we laugh about it to this day. And there was actually two guys in that row that were both just completely overcome, and Kyle's wife, Erin, who's a dear saint, but is not, not as emotionally uh, charged as the other guys, just pulls her tissues out and just hands it to these two guys. It was, it was a delightful moment. But uh, later that day, after we had kind of laughed about this stalactite that was hanging from his, his face, <laughs> which I could still see in my mind's eye very, very clearly, I had the opportunity to explain to my son why that was happening. Uh, he, he learned an important lesson about what had happened and transpired in Kyle's life that day. That, that God had, had saved him from a, a, a pretty rough life. Uh, he, 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 he had just overcome him in his grandeur that day. And, and Kyle had been reduced to tears as he, as he uh, worshiped the glory of our Savior, he, he, as he felt the conviction of his sins and that, that grace that Christ had wrought in his life all of that overcame him, uh, and, and he, he saw that. My son saw that that day. Yeah, he was distracted by the booger. I get it. That's easy to be distracted by. But he learned a great lesson because he was there to see Kyle overcome and worship. And then he would later see other grown-ups in our congregation moved in the same way. He's seen me reduced to tears in, in worship. He's seen you, some of you, reduced to tears in the glory of God. Uh, and he's seen the same in his mother and in many of you in this room as well. This is very important for us. And so us as moms and dads, this is part of the training of our children's hearts. This is very critical to the training of our children's hearts. Bring them with you into the worship service. There are lessons there inside the, the sanctuary, inside the congregation that cannot be learned in watching it on a TV. There are, there are lessons that you will have the opportunity to teach because you are side by side with your kids and with others in, in worship. I, I just happened to think of this. I didn't write this in my notes, but you know, it's a it's a tremendous thing that we are together as a body of believers in the sanctuary of this building. There were generations of Israelites that never got to go into the Holy of Holies. They never worshipped together in corporate form. Now there was another place reserved for that, but we are brought into the presence of Christ as a corporate body, and that is something that we think is just routine now and expected, but it is insanely. Um, unique and special for us to come into the presence of God 
So bring your family. Look, this is going to be uh, some priority shifted, shifting needed here, perhaps, right? We're, we're going to need to plan ahead. You may need to figure out what you're doing on Saturday nights, especially when your kids are especially younger, to make sure that they're prepared to come to, 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 to church on Sunday morning. Maybe mean going to bed a little bit earlier on Saturday night, or maybe even Friday night, because that's going to lag over, right? There may be things we're going to have to say no to on Saturdays so that we're ready to go on Sunday morning. That's an important part of our, our, of our church calendar, of our family life, it definitely means an extra effort on our part as parents to get up on Sunday, to get ourselves ready, to be ready to get our kids prepared for our gathering, to get them fed correctly, because they're going to have to be away from snacks for a long time, or at least more than just you know Cheerios or whatever you can stick in your bag. You're going to need to get them ready and dressed and changed and showered and hair combed and all the things that go in with all that. I get it. It takes a lot of effort. But friends, it is totally worth all that effort. So make that a priority. We, we understand how hard it is for our little ones to get up and get moving early. And then after all of that, to sit still for two or three hours in church at Sunday school and then in, in the body as well. But friends, it is doable. It is very doable. Uh, and as proof of that, children have been sitting in church services with their family with a whole lot less to entertain them since at least the first century. You can do this too, right? Uh, you've got Cheerios that the Puritans didn't have. I mean, my, my, I was with my parents on Friday night in, in Florida, and we were just kind of talking a little bit about this, and they remember, reminded me that my, my mother, my oldest sister, who apparently was much worse at sitting through church services than I was, uh, my mother doled out Cheerios one at a time for an entire service. Like She could make those things last just to keep... Look, you're going to require some creativity about how to do this. And you're going to probably have to take your kid out to settle him down and bring him back, but be with the family. Be with the church family. Be with your family. Remember to worship together and prioritize being together in corporate worship each Sunday. Don't rob me of your presence. We're supposed to be together like this. Come, be with us as a family. Be in the body as much as you possibly can. Second thing I want you to remember from our lessons in the last four months. Second thing, remember that it's not about behavior. It's about the heart. It's not about behavior. It's about the heart. We have spent weeks and weeks now discussing how important this concept is, how radical it is against the volumes of parenting advice that the world has to offer to you and me. In all of our parenting, we are far less concerned with the behavior on display that we're seeing in front of us, in front with our kids right now. We're much more concerned with the heart that is actually driving that behavior. Right? You've, you've heard me talk about getting behind the behavior all the time in this class, right? getting to the heart of our parenting. And since it is about the heart and not about the behavior, our methods in addressing that are going to be drastically different from all the self-help books that are out there about parenting. It's different because we want to teach, uh, we want to work to teach diligently all that God has commanded us. Remember, this is our command from Deuteronomy 6. We want, to we want to teach diligently all that God has commanded us that their hearts might be convicted and that the Holy Spirit might dwell in them and cause them to obey all that God has commanded them. If they're well-behaved, well-dressed, well-cared for kids, awesome. But that's a byproduct of our parenting of the heart. Any discipline that we invoke for them, any, anything we provide to them, whether that's words or actions, all of that is employed, it's done to correct the heart, to keep our children safe from the dangers of evil lurking in the shadows, 
and not from their physical actions or the environment around them so much as the danger of that evil that lurks around them to seek to rule their heart. Our, our goal as parents is not about their, their behavior. The behavior is merely a manifestation of what's ruling them in their heart. And our duty as parents is to get to that heart. We provide lessons. We provide education. We provide different experiences. We provide opportunities for worship at home and in the body here. All of this is geared to train the heart of our children. Whether God ultimately calls those hearts to himself, justifying them in relationship to him, is a matter that is beyond our level of ability or authority. We don't have that duty or that ability to call our children to Christ. We can simply remain faithful to them and to provide these lessons. And since we don't know whether he loves Jacob and hates or hates Esau, we parent both according to how he command. We parent both of those kids according to how he commands. He will ultimately choose who is a part of his eternal family. But since we have tasted of the truth of the scriptures, we cannot but serve our children with a steady diet of the Christian faith in all of life. Charles Spurgeon, there I'll, I'll, get the, I'll be able to claim payment for these Sunday school lessons because I've quoted Charles Spurgeon now at least once. In a Baptist congregation, you have to do that once in a while. But Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite quotes, he said this. He says, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. That's a great quote, right? And our duty of evangelism to our fellow man, it's wonderful. They're going to go to hell anyway. Let them do so over or leaping over our dead bodies with our arms embraced around them, imploring them to stay back. And if they go, they go with our prayers to, that we've, we've done everything we possibly can to keep them from going there. Well, in parenting, I hope we have a slightly more optimistic outlook than, than all that. But it's nonetheless true. Uh, we, we want to have a fruitful harvest, but ultimately that harvest is determined by the God of the universe and not our effort in parenting. Our duty in parenting is simple faithfulness to teach diligently that which God has commanded that our children learn. So I think we can borrow from Spurgeon then and say that if our children be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies, perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, and hell filled only in the teeth of our exer exertions of parental warnings and prayers. I know that's not rosy and cheery side of parenting, but that it describes the effort that I wish all of us to have when it comes to our kids. That if they are going to go beyond what we have taught them diligently, that would we pray rule their hearts, let them do so with our complete exertion gone, exhausted of all the resources we have and energy that we might possess. All of it gone. Remember though, parenting, it's not about modifying behavior. It's about taking seriously the duty that you and I have to shepherd the heart of our children. That's the second thing I want you to remember. The third thing I want you to remember from this class. I want you to remember that parenting includes discipline, but is much more, about much, much more than discipline itself. Parenting includes discipline, but it is about a whole lot more than just the act of discipline. We spend a significant amount of time in this class discussing discipline, and especially what the Bible says about physical discipline. And I stand by that decision. I think it's important for us to focus upon that topic. We took really two and a half or so weeks to talk about physical discipline in this class. I think that was important for us to do. And, and, and you should know by now I'm very persuaded about the importance of discipling our children, but I'm just as persuaded that, about what the Bible intends for us when it comes to physical discipline of our children. I, I think that's, I, I believe, to be a fairly clear discussion for us. 
But I'm also quite aware that there are several ongoing side conversations on this topic in, 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 in our body. And that's, that's fine. That's perfectly fine. It's, it's equally understandable. And whether you agree with what I've taught or not, it doesn't really eternally matter. Right? These are secondary issues. All of parenting is a secondary Christian issue. In other words, whether you believe what I believe and what I've taught in this class, that's not going to merit your salvation. It doesn't affect your eternal standing with God. That's not a primary issue of the Christian faith. But it is, I believe, a very important issue when it comes to following what the Bible says. And even as I will attempt to persuade you away from what, what I believe is illogical, and, and I think it is not exactly the counsel of Scripture on this topic of physical discipline, neither of us should fall prey to the idea that all of our parenting is somehow consumed or subsumed in the topic of discipline or narrowly focused on that only that question of physical discipline. It's not all about physical discipline. Jenny and I were talking about this not too long ago and kind of struggling over some of those conversations and, and you know, sort of hurting or, or, or um, being concerned for our church members here that are, are really working through this issue. And, and I, I appreciate it much, and it causes us to empathize, if nothing else. But it made us reflect and consider how many times that we had actually applied physical discipline to our kids. And we both came to the conclusion that in a combined 29 years of parenting thus far, right, I think we have probably physically disciplined our kids less than 50 times. And that got me to think a little bit more. You know, four kids over the course of their combined lives may have had to endure the physical discipline process that we've outlined, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago. They've had to do that less than 50 times. Now, to put that in perspective, that's 50 times, less than 50 times, over roughly 10,585 days, if I did my math correctly. Now, I think those 50 times were 50 essential moments, and and I think I was being obedient to what the Bible compels us to do in our parenting in that. But the the other 10,535 days were filled with so much more. And that's all a part of parenting. We've discussed in elementary ways with budding minds and developing hearts the things that God has outlined for us in the scriptures. We've walked, we've run, we've sat in the house, we've, we've sat in the car, we've been on a rock on the side of a mountain, we've contemplated the grandeur of our God and what he requires of his people. Uh, in those 10,535 days, we've shared thousands of meals together over which we've had deep conversations and shared deep thoughts of God and have unpacked and questioned and considered and debated all that God has taught for us in the scriptures. Uh, We've spent roughly uh, 1,508 Sundays together at a church studying the scriptures as a family. We've had it exposited to us. We've, We've been under the authority of the scriptures preached to us. We've spent time singing and praying together in those corporate worship settings, but also in our family settings as well. So to boil all of our parenting experience down to less than 50 instances of physical discipline would just simply be absurd. And yet for some reason, that's where we give a lot of our attention to when it comes to parenting. And I understand it. Look, I I, I understand why that is a a difficult and struggle-filled conversation to have with our parenting. But friends, there is so much more to parenting than physical discipline. Far more to parenting than that. That's one small element of it. It's occupied 50 days of our 10,000 plus days as parents. Now, again, I believe it includes that, that physical discipline. I'm persuaded that the scriptures lead inexorably to that conclusion. But there is so much more in the scriptures than just whether or not we physically discipline our kids in parenting. So remember that parenting includes discipline. 
But there is ever so much more to it than that. Don't get hung up on that one alone. If you're still struggling on that point, I'm happy. Call me, text me. I'll take you to coffee, lunch, dinner. Come to our house. Jenny and I will talk to you. If, if I'm unapproachable, as I consider myself a lot of times to be, she is not. She is a wonderful person to talk to. Chase her down. She'd be happy to share her thoughts. We are simpatico on this uh, idea, and she can explain it in a far more loving and careful way than I can. So talk to us and talk to some others here that have gone through this before you as well. But understand, we're going to try to help you move past that singular tree in the forest of parenting. There's so much more that we want to help you get to, to this heart of parenting, which requires endlessly more than whether or not you physically discipline your children. Don't get fixated on the one forest and the overall, one tree and the overall forest of parenting. There's so much more to parenting than just that one issue. All right, that's the third thing I want you to remember. There's much more than discipline to parenting, although it includes that as well. The fourth thing, and finally, the final thing I want you to remember is where we started as well. I want you to remember that parenting, parenting ain't for sissies. You'll remember we started there, right? That was one of the pearls of wisdom that my dad gave me when, uh, and I shared that with you early on in our class experience of that, that parenting ain't for sissies. And the point of that phrase, and what I hope you will remember, is to acknowledge that parenting is hard work. It requires intentionality. It requires endurance. It requires planning. It requires mistakes and learning from them. It is difficult, hard work. It's not something that a sissy can pull off, right? Parenting done well and committed to the things that God declares to be important is going to take effort from you, and it is probably going to leave you exhausted, and I think that's a really excellent, good thing. Parenting ain't for sissies, but you're not a sissy. If you're a parent, if you weren't able to meet the challenge of parenting your child, I don't think you would actually be a parent. You'd be a, you'd be a biological birther or whatever they're calling it on the birth certificates these days. But what I mean to say is that you're able to parent your child. You are able to parent your child in the way that God wants you to parent your child. He's not left you ill-equipped. He's not sequestered parenting away from all the areas of your life over which he has concern and control. He's still very much committed to this area of parenting and his control of that in your life. Your child is not some sort of cosmic accident. God, the creator of the universe, has given those children to you. He intentioned to trust them to you. He, he, he provided you your children. And this should encourage you. I would hope it would encourage you. But it should also drive you to dependence upon him for your parenting. In other words, just as much as God has not segmented off of his concern of you and his people, he's not segmented off the parenting aspect of that, neither should you segment your parenting off from the rest of your sanctifying Christian life. Uh, you should seek God's guidance in your area, in your parenting, as much as you seek it in any other area of your life. I, I think we have a tendency to sort of read the scriptures in isolation. Well, this applies to me, Jeremy, just to, just myself, and, and nothing else. Or maybe I'll, I'll give it allowance to to affect how I think through work or through the the questions of the day in politics or whatever it might be. No, I, I think it applies absolutely as much in all of life as it does to our parenting. The scriptures speak to you and I as parents because they speak to all of our lives. It is useful for godliness and training and righteousness, right? It is good for us to have the scriptures in front of us. And if you have anxiety as a parent, well, God delights to absorb that. 
Uh, in Matthew 6, we read our Savior's words uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, and they're directed at our lives, but they also include, that, that also must inexorably conclude, include, rather, uh, our lives as parents. In Matthew 6, at uh, verse 25, here's what Christ says on the Sermon on the Mount. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O oh, you of little faith! Therefore be, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Christ calls you to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And there's no qualifier after that. Before we engage whatever cares or concerns, whatever anxieties, insecurities, whatever histories we have uh, lived through, whatever present debates we might have right now, remember, in all of life, and including in your parenting, remember to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That includes our parenting. It's all of our life. But likewise, recall that you're not alone in this parenting thing. Well, at least you're not alone in this parenting thing as a member of this church. I can't speak for everywhere else, but I would hope that all churches have this same concern, but I know we do here. The Christian life, as you've heard it said here, as in the sanctuary, the Christian life is not an isolated life for believers. We live, in a, we live life in community with fellow believers. Some of those fellow believers happen to have been, or are currently, parents. And some of them have actually been all the way through this idea of parenting, or at least through that, you know, that 1 to 18 stage of parenting. They've made the same mistakes you're about to make, and they've tried the same solutions you're about to try. That reality has at least two implications for us as we conclude our time together in this course on biblical parenting. The first implication I want to give is to the older parents in this congregation. If you're an older parent in this local gathering of the body of Christ, you should be looking for opportunities to help our younger parents. That means, older parents, you're not supposed to be passive in this. Uh, you should be actively seeking out younger parents to come alongside of, to help them to learn, to let them rest on your shoulder, and frankly, to benefit from your experience. This is very good for us. And that means, older parents, that um, uh, there's a new challenge with this as well. And so this is my challenge to the gray hairs that are in this, this room and, and elsewhere, and hopefully some of them are listening uh, on uh, this recording. If you have children that are mostly launched, Find a couple or two in this church that has children under the age of six and develop a relationship with them. Now, there are multiple families in this body for whom that applies. And notice I didn't say go to young, a young parent and tell them everything they're doing wrong. That's the wrong approach, all right? That's not what I said. I said go and develop a relationship with them. Walk through life with them and look for opportunities that you might have to offer encouragement, to provide perspective, to give some direction, you might even have an opportunity to provide a gentle rebuke at times, but that comes through a lifetime of relationship. So my, my challenge to the older parents, you that have been through most of it or all of it, 
go find you a young kid and help them out. Go find those young couples and come alongside them. You remember what it was like when you were a young kid, young parent. You're kind of grasping for any help at that time. Wouldn't you have loved to have someone come beside you and love on you? And my guess is as an older parent, I know this is true for Jenny and I, and we're not old parents yet. We're kind of the middle-aged parents. But, you know, I remember older parents that came alongside of us as well and said, it's going to be all right. You're going to get through this and gave us a piece of wisdom here or there and sort of gave that little smile that says, oh, you sweet young thing. You know, and you had to kind of inquire what they meant by that and, and have the humility to learn from their experience and realize that you didn't really know everything that you were doing. Um, it's incredibly important for us as older parents to go and help those young couples. Uh, I, as I mentioned, we're, we're not old parents. At least I don't consider myself old parents. You can't tell if I have gray hair or not. Um, we would love to come beside you, whatever we can do. I, I don't know what that is, but you're welcome to come to us. And I promise you, I'm not nearly as scary as I look. We'd love to walk alongside of you. The second implication that that has for us is that if you're a younger parent, you should be seeking to learn from those who have gone before you in parenting. Now, I recognize that can be a little bit daunting uh, and even pretty humbling to have to go through. No one really likes to admit that they don't know what they're doing, even when it comes, and maybe especially when it comes to parenting our kids. We, we think that sort of by nature, we, we've birthed a child or, or we've conceived a child and we know how to be a parent. No, you, you know how to be biological parents, maybe. That's about, that's about the extent of it all. You're going to be learning a whole lot of this stuff over the years. You haven't learned everything at the very beginning. But if you can accept that small dose of humility for the greater result of being encouraged, of being strengthened, of having a friend to go through uh, this life experience with, then, then go to the gray hairs. Go to the no hairs. Go to the people who have gone through this with them already uh, and develop that relationship with them. Seek out their wisdom. Get their counsel. Make them smile because you just asked. They're, they're, they're longing for the opportunity to come alongside of you to share funny anecdotes. I promise you it will be a delight to the older parents in the church body to think through all the kind of rose-colored memories of their parenting. There's going to be some moments of sort of, you know, nostalgia for what's been had and a little bit of regret for things they didn't do quite right. But that's actually going to counsel and provide better counsel for you. Experience is a wonderful thing. They've been through this already. Go to them. And, and I have a similar note for you as well, parent, young parents. Uh, and now I want you to note that I said to go seek out one of the gray-haired parents, one of the older parents in this body. I didn't say go seek out your peers. Now, look, you're going to have plenty of occasion for developing a relationship with your peers. And in those times, have the opportunity to commiserate together. That's good. It's useful. Have the play dates. Have the conversations. Have the text exchanges and the silly memes that go with it all. That's great. You're going to have plenty of those opportunities, and you should seek them. But maybe this analogy will help you. If, if you had to hike Mount Everest, and parenting is a little bit like hiking Mount Everest. You can fall in a crevasse at any time and freeze to death there, right? I mean, it, it can happen at any moment, right? But if you had to hike Mount Everest, wouldn't you rather have a Sherpa who's been up and down that mountain about a dozen times since his birth guide you up and down that mountain? rather than the friend that's, that gets lost and winded in the parking lot at Walmart, right? I mean, like there's a, there's a major difference there, isn't there? Go find that Sherpa that is the gray hairs in this body. Yes, have that friend that gets winded in the parking lot be alongside of you. You're gonna need that commiseration too, but you're going to be very well served by going to the gray hairs, seeking out their wisdom and experience, having them come alongside you and they're going to tell you they did a few things wrong. Hopefully, they'll do that pretty lovingly. 
but they're going to do that because they love you and they want to see you be obedient and faithful in uh, your parenting according to the Bible. Remember, that's the fourth thing again. Remember that parenting ain't for sissies, but if you're a parent, you're not a sissy. Parent in community. Don't go away from us. Go seek out somebody. Well, just before Moses speaks to Israel in the verses we've spent a lot of time talking about in Deuteronomy 6, he delivers the Decalogue in Deuteronomy 5, the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy 5. Uh, sort of between those passages of delivering the, the Ten Commandments and uh, speaking in Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7, we have this interlude in which God is speaking directly to Moses. And this is a pretty unique thing where, where God is speaking directly to Moses. And, and he's, he has seen now how the law of God has impacted the hearts of his chosen people. And in Deuteronomy 5, God is saying to Moses, and specifically in verse 29 of Deuteronomy 5, he says, oh, that they had such a heart. This is God speaking. Oh, that they, the Israelites, who had just received the law of God given to them on the Ten Commandments, on the, on the stone tablets, oh, that they had such a heart as this always, to fear me and to keep all my commandments, that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. He has seen how the law has landed upon his chosen people. It has softened their hearts. It has caused them to be convicted in front of the face of a holy God. And it has also sort of caused them to be a bit overwhelmed that they could even keep just 10 rules that he set out for them. And he says, oh, that they had such a heart, that their heart would always be this soft, that it would always be this convicted, this malleable, this, this dedicated to obedience, to do all that God has commanded them. Oh, that they would have such a heart as this always, to fear me and to keep all my commandments, that it might go well with them and with their descendants. We reflected a number of weeks ago about the divine reward for our children that they stand to gain for their obedience. Remember that? We talked about that uh, in Ephesians 5 and 6, rather. That it might go well with them and that they'd enjoy a long life in the land. Did you hear the echoes in that? Here in Deuteronomy 5, God himself speaks in real fatherly tones to his children of Israel. And while he wants his people's obedience, he knows also their weakness and inability. Christ would be the ultimate cure for that weakness, right? That's the promised delivery that he's going to provide them. But what I want for you in closing this class out is to hear this. The Bible is not silent in parenting. It has not excluded that area of our human experience from its teaching. It holds out to us commands and promises, all of which are starkly different from the wisdom of this world. So I want you to hear then your creator, your savior, seeing your heart afflicted by the law, uh, afflicted by the, the, the commands of God, but yet aware of the promise of grace forthcoming in Jesus, cheering you on to obedience to all that he has commanded. Oh, that their heart would be uh, as, as this always, to fear me and to keep all my commandments, that I might go well with them and with their descendants forever. Hear that fatherly voice of of God speaking in that moment. So the best and final piece of parenting advice that I think I can give and leave you with is that you take seriously God's command to obey all that he has commanded you and then rest comfortably in the grace of Christ that has been provided to you and most especially the promised Holy Spirit that is going to sanctify you and your parenting. And as Jeremiah 29 tells us, or Ezekiel 29, sorry, tells us, cause you to obey all that he has commanded you. Let me pray for you and we'll be done. Father, thank you for these last 16 weeks of uh, thinking seriously about the command to parent our children. What a beautiful thing you've entrusted to your people, that you would call us to obedience uh, to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And yet you would uh, call us to be 
authorities in the lives of our children, that you would call our children to be obedient to us as well. So, Father, as under-shepherds of our children, we first acknowledge and thank you for the provision of our kids. What a great delight you've provided to us. What areas of human joy we could not experience elsewhere but in our kids. Thank you for giving us this duty and role as parents. What a privilege it is to have children. And yet, Father, it is a daunting task and one that we don't know the outcome with until it is far too late. We pray, Father, that you would cause us to be obedient in uh, your commands to us as parents. And then, Father, we call, we, we equally ask that you would help us yield great results, that we would see a fruitful harvest in the lives of our children, that you would put your affection upon our children, that you would call them to your eternal family, that they would not merely be our sons and daughters, but that they would, in fact, be our brothers and sisters in Christ. So, Father, call our children to your side. Call them to yourself. Convict their hearts of their sin. Express their dependence upon you fully. And may they be obedient to all that you've commanded them. And may we both, in our obedience as parenting and their obedience as children, gain that divine reward that it will go well with us and we would have a long life in this land, but more importantly, in the land that is yet to come. So God, I I ask your blessing upon the parents that are hearing this today, whether in this room or listening to recording, that they would be encouraged in their parenting, that they would be equipped in their parenting, that they would be prepared to meet the challenges that parenting provides, that they would in fact get behind every behavior that manifests in front of them and minister directly to the heart of our children, that they would shepherd the hearts of our children and shepherd them well. So, Father, with the questions that arise, may you answer them for us. And may you give us the strength necessary to be good parents to our children, pleasing in your sight for all that we have done, and mostly what you have done in our our lives. Thank you again for this time to have studied this carefully. Uh, May you impress deeply on the hearts the things that are meant to be remembered by your scriptures to them. And may we go forward, Father, with your blessing as parents. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.